on page 412 in the small church Bible. Ezra chapter 3 verses 1 to 13. It reads like this. When the seventh month came and Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Jezadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, and his associates, began to build the altar of the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of uh, the people around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of the tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those, as those brought as free, free will offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt sacrifices, offerings to the Lord through the foundation of the Lord's temple, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. They gave money to the masons and carpenters and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring the cedar logs to the sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. In the second month of the second year, after their arrival at the house of God in, in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shaltiel, Joshua, son of Jezadak, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem, began the work. They appointed Levites, 20 years old, and older to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons and brothers, and Kadmiel and his sons, the descendants of Horoviah, uh, and the sons of Henadad, and their sons and brothers, and all Levites, joined together in supervising those working in the house of God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and their trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with their symbols, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. 
but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many shouted for joy. No one could distinguish this, the sound of shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, speak to your people this morning. We are listening. We pray that you would help us as believers indeed to behold wonderful things in your word. Lord, as we look at this passage this morning of your people as this build the temple, may you use it to build us up as a community of believers, as your church, Lord. I pray that you would help us to trust all the more in your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up on the third day. Help us to trust in him, Lord. In whose name we pray and ask all of these things. Amen. The strange thing or the paradox about being a Christian is the fact that God uses human beings. After all, God created the world without the help of human beings. Yet he saw fit to have Adam and Eve manage the world. With a mighty hand, God rescued Israel from bondage in Egypt. Yet he saw fit to use Moses as his instrument of salvation. Last week we saw in, as, in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 36 and in Ezra chapter 1 how God's anger was so stirred up against Israel that he sought to punish his people for turning against him. But how did he punish them? By using another human being, Nebuchadnezzar, to drive them into exile. We also saw that God, according to the promises made to his prophets, was rescuing his people from exile. In uh, Ezra chapter 1, but how does he do this act of rescuing? He uses the heart of a king, a pagan king nonetheless, Cyrus, king of Persia. So in chapter 1, we saw that the people of God, a declaration was issued that they were going to be sent back onto the land in which God had driven them out during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar as punishment. Now God was using this wicked king or this king of our pagans, Cyrus, to bring about his plan of rescuing his people from exile. Again, God using people to achieve his plans. We see this in the New Testament as well. But Jesus comes into the world to bring about this new kingdom. But how does he do this? He first of all elects uh, 12 apostles. 
to go and proclaim the gospel, the good news of this kingdom that was that had come, that was inaugurated by Jesus Christ coming into the world. And those twelve apostles form a community called Christians, a church, a community of, of believers that is now being built up by God to achieve his purposes. It is indeed a paradox or a strange thing, as it were, that the God who is absolutely sovereign, who is in control, decides that they are going to use, decides that he is going to use people to achieve his plan. This is because by using people, he actually teaches them something about who he is in using them. He is teaching the church something about who he is in using the church as a medium of his uh, mercy and grace. He used Moses to teach us about something about who he is. He, just as he used Abraham to teach us about himself. And now, as we get to Ezra chapter 3, in chapter 2 we see a list of those who are uh, brought from, uh, from Persia to Israel. As we get to chapter 3, we see the people of God again being used by God to build the temple. And the first thing that we notice there is that building with God requires unity. We see this in chapter 3, verses 1 of Ezra. Chapter 3, verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one Jerusalem. We are not told when they actually set up 1,300 kilometers um, to get to Jerusalem. But now we are told that in the calendar of Israel, on the seventh month, the people gathered together. And they gathered as one, as one Jerusalem to start building the temple. The literal word there is that the people gathered as one man in, to, uh, in Jerusalem. That they, are, they, 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 they were so united that you could, they could be considered as one person. I'm not sure if you've ever been involved or seen a uh, construction site. The unity of mind of those who are in the construction um, process is very important. It's very important that the idea of what should happen should not be just with the supervisor who has all the plans and, and makes sure that everyone is doing their job. It is important for every bricklayer to be thinking about the building when it's finished and to see their role in the construction process. It is important that everyone does things in a similar way. 
You don't want to see a distinction in that, uh, uh, that Tabo was laying the bricks here. And this person that, uh, on that corner there had their own idea about what should happen. But rather there should be uniformity. There should be unity of mind or thought. We say with the people of Israel, as the Levites were supervising them, that they were working as one, united in a single goal to build the temple of their God. What motivated their unity? On the one hand, their unity is motivated by faith in God. By faith in God, they have to be, they have to have faith that it is indeed God who has called them, who, who, who has removed them from from exile and said their punishment is done, and has brought them into Jerusalem. They have to have faith in that, that this is indeed what God wants them to do. They had to have faith in God to travel 1,300 kilometers from Babylon to Jerusalem. They had to have faith in God, those who had experienced the grace of God, those whose hearts, chapter 1, verse 5, God had moved to leave everything that they had known to come and build this temple. They had to have faith in God even now. That while they get there, that they prioritize the building of the temple as something important and not merely preoccupied with rebuilding their lives. This is like uh, people who are, who are moving to a, a place that they used to live in. And the first thing that they do when they get there is build a church. Before they do anything else, they start with a temple. They start with the means in which God was going to be present among them. They start with the means by which they would confess their sins to God, that they would approach God. They start with the temple. This is because, my second point, building with God requires setting your priorities right. Building with God requires setting their priorities right. The reason why they decided to start with the temple, because there was something that they had to deal with. And you see that throughout um, uh, uh, chapter 3, verses 2 to verses 5. Look at verse 2. Then Joshua, son of Josedek, and his fellow priests, and uh, Zerubbabel, son of, of Shaltiel, and his associates, they began to build the altar of the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it. Again in verse 3. Despite their fear of the people around them, they built an altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord. 
Again in verse 5. After that, they presented regular offerings, regular burnt offerings. Verse 6 again in the middle. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, even though the foundation of the temple had not yet been laid. Here's what happens here, is that the first thing that these people decide to do is the temple. But even within the building of the temple itself, before they relay the foundation, remember the temple was completely destroyed, everything taken away in the last chapter of Second Chronicles. Before they do that, even within the temple itself, they decide that let's start with the altar. Let's start with that place in which you make sacrifices to God. Because the temple had uh, a number of places on it. There was, the, uh, there was the altar, there was the Holy of Holies surrounding that, in, in which we, uh, in order to enter, that, there was a curtain that you have to go through. And then there was a temple court, which is basically like the temple hall. And then there was a temple on the outside that people could, uh, could be as an overflow. So what do these people do? They start right where the sacrifice is being made. Before building the foundation, before laying the roof, before anything else, they see that what is important is that they make sacrifices for their sins. They see that sin is important as something to be dealt with. They have their priorities right. They know that they, they were exiled because of their wickedness and, and, and stiff-neckedness. Because their kings and their people had turned away from God. The first thing that they do as a people as they arrive in Israel is build a temple. The first thing that they build, even within the temple itself, is the place of sacrifice. They build an altar. And they make sacrifices in it. Even before the foundation had been laid, even before the temple had been built, they see that sin is important. Sin is something that should be dealt with. Sin is a priority for, for them. They see that what took them to exile was their sin. What brought them back was the mercy of God. But now, they're no longer going to live in rebellion to him. They are going to go to God and ask for their sins to be forgiven. And this is something that they do regularly as well. It's not something that they did once, if you look at verses 5. Something that they did regularly. That's the, that's the second thing we see. The first thing is that in order to build with God, there is to be unity. The second thing that priorities have to be set right. And the third thing we see from the same verse is that building with God 
It requires doing things God's way. Building with God requires doing things God's way. There is a distinction between the behavior of these Israelites now as they've come back from exile and those who were kicked out of the temple 70 years before this. What we see in verses 2 is that they begin to build an altar to the God of Israel to open sacrifices as it is written according to the law of Moses. Again in verse 4, they begin to keep the feasts of booths as it is written. They begin to offer burnt offerings by the number according to the rule, according to the rule, each day required. We see there that these people are not only concerned with, their, uh, with building the temple, Yes, with making sacrifices to God. But they are concerned with doing things the right way. They are concerned with obedience to God. They are concerned with, the, with keeping this, the, 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 the letter of the law. They know that God had pres- made a prescription about how the temple should be built. And they're doing it the way that God wanted it. They know that God has made a prescription about how sins ought to be dealt with. Now they're making burnt offerings just as God required. The time of disobedience had come to an end. These Israelites who have been brought back into the land were going to do things in accordance with the law of God. They are going to be people who are faithful to God, unlike their forefathers, who neglected God and did detestable things in the house of God. We say the new people taking care not to do things the way that they wanted, but to do things in the way that God wanted. And as they build the temple, they build the altar, and they begin to lay the foundation, the rest of chapter 3, and then we see that building with God should result in in passionate worship of him. We see at the end of this account if you look down at verses 11, the, uh, in verses 10, the builders had laid the foundation, the chief priests and the trumpets and everything has been laid there. They take their places and praise God as prescribed by King David. They have a thanksgiving service. They begin to sing the Psalms. He is good. His love endures forever. A verse that appears in multiple Psalms. They begin to praise God. They know that the reason why the temple is being built, yes, was to deal with their sin, 
but also also deal with their heart, the heart that had moved away from God. Now in passionate worship, they come to God and bow down before him. See that in verses 11. God had demonstrated his love towards them in bringing them back into the land. The foundation of the temple would have been a strong indicator that God was still present among them. Would have been a reminder of what they had before. And they begin to praise God. But as they praise, there are others among them who had seen the temple before, who knew what it was like before this new building, who knew how good God had been to them, that while others rejoice, they begin to weep. Verses 12. But many of the elder priests, the Levites and family heads, who had seen the former temple, they wept out loud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. They knew, they know what it was like. They are, they are weeping, not out of joy, but they are weeping because According to them, this new temple is not like the old temple. We see that in the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 3, which uh, speaks about this account. Let me read for you. It says, When among the survivors saw the former splendor of this temple, who among the survivors saw the former splendor of this temple? How does it look to you now? Isn't it nothing by comparison? We say in the book of Haggai that those who knew the former temple saw the new temple as a shadow of the old temple. They saw it in a diminished form. And they longed for the temple that is now that it was destroyed 70 years earlier. Uh, Zechariah, uh, the prophet, during this time, in chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, rebuked these people and used these words to rebuke them. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also complete it. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Then seven, these seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. The words say in verse 9 says, For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice 
and shall see the plan line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Says, yes, you look at this temple. Yes, it is not like the temple of old. But do not despise what is happening. Do not despise, Zechariah says, the day of small beginnings. Time will come in which you will rejoice. Time will come in which you will rejoice. Yes, this temple looks nothing like the temple that you used to know. But a time will come in the future. He's saying this 500 years before Christ. Saying a time will come in the future in which you will rejoice. Because it's not really about the building, is it? It is about what the building represents. The building represents access to God. The building re represents an ability for, for sin to be dealt with. The building is a place where they would go to, 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 to present their prayers to God and to have their sins dealt with. The splendor is not important. It is what the building represents instead. Yes, it may look like a small beginning now, but the time will come in which you will rejoice. And that time, I believe, comes 500 years later when the Lord Jesus turns to the Pharisees and says, destroy this temple. And on the third day, I will raise it up. Of course, speaking about himself, he, uh, he raises something far more magnificent than the building. Far grander than the stones that they were used to. He brought to them a system of sacrifice far better than the temple system. No longer did they have to go into the temple year after year to have their sins forgiven. But now Christ came, who died once for all, as a sacrifice for sins. So the people of, of Israel, they should not despise the day of new beginnings of small beginnings. But rather they should look at what the temple represents and see it as a mercy of God towards his people. That he had not turned his back against them. That he was providing a way out for their forgiveness. At times we see the Mercy, the mercy of God and think little of it. Whether it is with a small church, whether it is with the, uh, the job that you have, whether it is with the health that you have enjoyed despite the suffering of others, whether it is the uh, loving parents, loving spouse, loving friends, 
At times we look at those things and don't see them for what they are, as shadows of something better to come. We don't see our health as shadow of a perfect health. We complain about, the, uh, about it not being perfect enough. We don't see our bodies as shadows of our resurrected bodies that will have neither sickness nor pain. We don't see our small church as shadows of multitudes who will be praising God in, grat- in gratitude, as we see in the book of Revelations, saying, Holy, holy is the Lamb, the one who was slain. Everything in this world, whether it's a church of 20 or 200 or 2,000 or 20,000, is minuscule compared to what is coming. So the encouragement to you and I is not to despise the day of small beginnings. It's not to look at the mercy of God and despise it. But it's to look at what God has given and indeed praise him just as these people did. Even though it may, look, it may not look like much, they are looking at a foundation at this moment. It's not much. They are looking at a, 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 an altar for the sacrifice of their sins. It's not much. But what it represents, what it stands for, is far better, is far greater than they could imagine. So what they should do is to lift up their gaze and think not only of what is before them, but at what is coming. They should see the temple as the kind of the first day of construction, not the last day. Just as we should see our present message as small beginnings of something far greater, of a community far bigger, of a health far better, of blessings far richer in the world to come, and not despise them, but indeed praise God for them. This is an encouragement to you and I to be uh, to set our priorities right first of all. Yes, to take sin seriously, but also to have the right perspective of life in this world, of life now, and to pray and long for something better, while not despising the day of small beginnings. Let's pray and ask God to help us in that. Heavenly Father, I pray that as a church, as a community of believers, that indeed we may declare with your people that you are good 
His love towards Israel endures forever. That he would shout in praise to our God. Because you have sent your son into the world to die for us. That you may be reconciled to you. You have inaugurated your kingdom. We have a foretaste in our community of what it's going to be like in the worlds to come. In the new harvest and new earth. I pray, Lord, that you will help us. That as we live now, may we have the right perspective of things. May we take sin seriously just as the people did. May we know, may we live in unity just as your people did. May what you're doing now through us result in passionate worship of you just as it did with your people. I pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please let us stand and let us um, shout in worship to our God for what he has done. As we sing together.